Can anybody name the dinosaur? Really? We, man, that was my thing when I was a kid. Let me ask you a question. When was the first time you lied to yourself? My mom tells me that the first time that I lied to myself was when I was a child. I told her that I was a brontosaurus, and I was serious. In fact, yesterday, and this was, we'll call it a God thing because we don't believe in coincidence, but I went to my folks' home yesterday, my brother's in town, to have dinner, and my mom gave me this, which she tried to pass off as a brontosaurus. It's clearly a T-Rex, but <laughs> because, because this is all I used to say, and if you guys are old enough to remember, or they still had these gas stations where you grew up, Sinclair gas stations, you remember the dinosaur? Actually, um, we were in California in September, and I pulled into a Sinclair gas station, and I actually went in and asked them if they still had the brontosaurus, but they don't. So anyway, brontosaurus. I told her I was a brontosaurus. I, I don't think I knew I was lying to myself, but I, I was. And, and I'm guessing that my lie about the brontosaurus wasn't even the first time that I lied to myself. Because, because in reality, it's virtually impossible to say when the first time was, because we typically, when we lie to ourselves, we don't even realize we're doing it. But let me ask you this question. When do we stop lying to ourselves? That's the important question. And I don't think that answer is readily available either, but I feel like it might happen on the same day that we stop living. I think we lie to ourselves for all of our lives. But here's the question that maybe we can answer. When do we become skilled at knowing when other people are lying to us? I feel like that happens pretty early in life. If you've ever been around elementary school kids, they're pretty good at sniffing out a lie. They know when you're making stuff up. I feel like our, our two sons had developed that skill way before they got to fifth grade, maybe even third grade. And certainly, all kids have it by middle school and high school. I'm guessing by the, by the end of high school, most people are pretty skilled at figuring out when other people are lying to them, but they're still horrible at determining when they're lying themselves. All right, now let me add another layer on top of that. In addition to the way we lie about ourselves to ourselves, we also have a tendency to lie about ourselves to other people. Now, when we do that, we actually do know what we're doing, but we immediately cut ourselves a break because we feel like we're completely justified in doing so. And we do that because we think that to benefit, the benefit to us of lying about ourselves far outweighs the negatives that come from telling lies. So we lie about ourselves to other people to avoid having other people think badly of us. That makes sense, right? And we kind of, we're okay with that. But the truth is lying to ourselves, even lying to others about ourselves is not in keeping with our living a life of faith in Jesus. So maybe by this point you're going, what are you talking about, Russell? Like, this is not a way to start a sermon. I don't ever lie to myself. I never lie about myself, do I? Well, if that's your thought, congratulations, you just lied to yourself. <laughs> it didn't take long, did it? Just a couple minutes. So how have we been able to do that without ever realizing it? 
Well, that answer, well, that's an easy one. We lie to ourselves about our lies. But we don't call them our lies. We call them something far more palatable. We call them reasons. And to us, maybe it's subconscious, but we think that calling something a reason makes it reasonable. I met with a pastor friend of mine earlier this week, and I got there a few minutes late. And I was prepared to give him a reason for my tardiness. Can you guess what I was going to blame? Traffic, yes, very good, because we all do it, right? And he didn't end up asking why I was late, so I didn't have to lie to him. But, but that wasn't an entirely valid reason. I mean, sure, there was traffic. There's always traffic here. But the truth is, I also miscalculated how long it would take me to finish my workout and go home and get showered and get to lunch. And then I miscalculated how far away the restaurant was, even though I have GPS. I always think I can go faster than the GPS, so that's a thing. Then I failed to factor in lunchtime parking at the restaurant, which is always at a premium. So the reason I was late was traffic, but it was really just an excuse for my failure to leave with enough time to get there. But we always have reasons, don't we? Because we always want to be seen as reasonable. And we love to rely on our reasons. The reason I don't eat the way I know I should is, the reason I don't work out is, The reason I yell at my kids so much is. The reason I argue with my wife so much is. The reason I cheated is. The reason I stole is. We all have our reasons. But now let's get down to business. Are you ready to admit that the reasons you give yourself might not be the real reasons? Are you ready to admit that the real reason might mean that you have to face something about yourself? that you're not willing or at least ready to admit? You don't want to think about it, so you lie. You lie to yourself, and you lie to others. Maybe you need to know that whether you're willing to allow yourself to see it or not, the people around you see it. They already see it. You're not fooling anybody. And notwithstanding whatever you might have been going for, they're not respecting you more for being that way. They think you're lying, or at a minimum, just making excuses and not relying on any valid reason. Welcome to part three of our series, Paper Walls, Moving Beyond the Excuses That Hold You Back. Now, in this series, we've been talking about how we can learn to break free from and leave behind the excuses that we make that serve only to keep us from becoming the people who our Heavenly Father created us to be. Instead of helping us, those excuses become nothing more than paper walls that from far away look like real walls, like real things that can stop us from answering God's call in our lives. But in reality, they're just fake. They're phony barriers that we allow to stop us from reaching our God-given potential. Well, if we allow paper walls to continue to stand in our way, they eventually get cemented into our psyche. They eventually become part of us. They eventually become go-to becauses. And their power over us just increases the longer we allow them to stick around, the longer we allow them to fester. And before we know it, our excuses become our masters. 
Before we know it, we're stuck in a loop of, well, why don't you go speak with him? Well, because. Why don't you just apologize? Because. Why don't you just go back there? Well, because. Why aren't you just letting it go? Because. Why won't you just stop doing that thing that is causing problems in your marriage? Because. Why haven't you forgiven her? Because. Why haven't you asked for forgiveness from him? Well, because. But the truth is, oftentimes, the because is not really the cause. It's just an excuse disguised as a cause. So, considering all of that, do you think it is at least possible that you're missing out on much of what God has created you for because you're stuck living behind your own paper wall? Do you think it's possible that you're hiding behind your paper walls to keep out other people and other relationships? Do you think it's possible that you're hiding behind your paper walls and keeping your physical health out? Do you think you're hiding behind paper walls and keeping your success out or your potential out? Is it possible that you've manufactured, and that's what we do with excuses, right? We make excuses. We manufacture excuses. Is it possible that you've manufactured an excuse for why you always act or always react in a certain way? Well, that's just who I am. Well, I'm an eight Enneagram, and that's what we eights do. No. Is it possible that you always get defensive whenever a specific topic comes up, and you instinctively blame your defensiveness on your tried and true excuse? But there's really something else causing it? Because if something else is causing it, that something else might just be causing you to miss out on an opportunity that will change your life. Okay. So you're listening to me go through this stuff. Maybe you're thinking, I like my excuses. I've had them around my whole life. They make me feel comfortable. They suit me just fine. I don't really want to change anything. I like the way that I am. I like the way that I act and react. I've tested these reasons in my head, and they're very reasonable to me. I like how I do things. And if people don't want to come around to the way that I see things and the way that I deal with things, that's not my problem, that's their problem, that's a them problem. Listen, I totally get that. However, if you continue to lean too heavily on your excuses, over time, they can become the boss of your life. And that is not a good thing. Because those excuses, they leak. And before long, they leak into every other area of your life. For example, if your excuses are tied to your view of yourself as being an anxious person, as I've explained to you that I suffered from for a very long time, that excuse will not only keep you from going into situations that make you anxious, but it'll also keep you from meeting new people or trying new things or taking on new projects or visiting new places and, 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 and so on and so on and so on. When you make excuses regarding how you handle your money or how you don't even have enough money to handle or how you don't have enough time to take care of your health, anyone who hears you and then watches you live your life is just going to come to the conclusion that your excuses aren't the real reasons for your lack of action. Instead, they'll just see your excuses that you thought were so clever, they'll just see them as character flaws or they'll see them as your inability to make good decisions, and they'll often be right. So here's the concern. In your life, 
there's probably one main excuse that you've been making for such a long time that it's animated everything else about you. You become your excuse. You've possibly convinced yourself that your excuse needs to find a home in every single aspect of your life. From your personal choices, to your conversations, from your living situation, to your work. That excuse keeps you from learning and growing and connecting and even loving. And because of that, it keeps you from moving forward relationally and spiritually and personally and financially. You're holding yourself back. Now, I'm not speaking to anyone in particular, but I know that what I just said applies to each one of us in one way or another. But is it possible that your excuse is just that? It's not a valid reason. It's just a lame excuse. Now, why are we talking about this in church? Well, we're talking about this in church because there's a direct relationship between our excuses and our ability to follow Jesus completely and wholeheartedly. Because Jesus can't be the king of your life if an excuse is already occupying that position. Our excuses tell us, don't love them. Don't forgive him. Don't stop doing the thing you're doing. Don't stay, hide, argue, avoid, retreat. We give our excuses way too much power over us. And Jesus has invited you to make him the king of your life, the leader of your life, the boss of your life. Jesus has invited you to follow him and allow him to rule and reign over every single aspect of it. Jesus is the king that came to turn things upside down. Jesus came to change the way the world had been operating and would continue to operate throughout human history. And that Jesus has invited you to drop all of your excuses and follow him. And Jesus can't be the leader of our lives at the same time that our excuses are. So for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to be talking about how throughout the Gospels, there's a theme that runs through the Gospels. Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It comes up over and over and over again. And that theme is the way that wherever Jesus went, he led people out of darkness and into the light. And and we're also going to see how initially light can be very unsettling and very unnerving. You ever walked into a dark kitchen and turned on the light and the countertops were alive and the bugs scattered? I had a college apartment that was that way. The good news is I was only paying 50 bucks a month, so you get what you pay for. But the bad news is it was terrifying to turn on the light. It really was. Those things fly, you know. The light can be unsettling and unnerving. It can even be threatening. And after living in the dark for a long time, shining a light in there can embarrass us and can even threaten us. And and those are the things that also keep us from breaking through our paper walls. But on the other side of that, we're going to see something. We're going to see that once we're able to push through our fears and our insecurities that have given rise to our excuses, that have made us make up lies throughout our lives, we'll find freedom. And we'll find liberation. And though we're not in the habit of using them to hide, lies are not our friends. Lies are nothing. Lies do nothing but hold us back and keep us in the dark. Lies keep us in the dark, and we can't see anything when we're in the dark. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to join as the body of Christ, as the ecclesia, as the called out community, the community called out by God to understand our brokenness, but to understand your goodness and to connect to you eternally forever. God bless our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Lies keep us in the dark. We can't see anything when we're in the dark. Have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to help somebody, but they're not being honest with you? How do you describe them when you talk about that situation? I'm trying to help them, but they can't see it. They can't see why they need it. I want to show him the way out, but he's lying to himself, and he can't see it. He's still in the dark. She just can't see how she's hurting her marriage. He just can't see how he's damaging his relationship with his kids. She just can't seem to see how her behavior is ruining her career. We say it over and over and over again. We instinctively view their behavior as some kind of blindness. We want to help, but they're just walking around in the dark, slamming into everything and slamming into everyone and only harming themselves further. And whether we've tried to talk to them, hey, don't you see how your actions are harming your life? Don't you see how your actions are harming your husband? Don't you see how your behavior is harming your children? They respond by doing what? By falling back on their reasons, which are really nothing more than bad excuses. Well, it's all my wife's fault. Well, I only did it because my husband did. Why does it matter? My kids don't even notice I'm here. And we just think, wow, he or she can't see it. We see it in them, but they can't see it in themselves. And we can't see the nonsense of our excuses in ourselves either. But as we said just a few weeks ago, Jesus loves us too much to leave us this way, to leave us the way that we are. And so he presented us with an invitation Because while our lies hold us back, the truth sets us free. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus told us just that. We find this conversation in chapter 8 of John's Gospel. Fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Chapter 8 of John's Gospel. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background in the beginning of the chapter. In the beginning of this chapter, we see a familiar story. We see the story of the woman caught in adultery. Remember, the religious leaders caught this woman in adultery. They brought her up before Jesus. The religious leaders, of course, were the scribes and Pharisees. They brought brought this lady to Jesus, and they asked him whether he would advise them to stone her to death. But Jesus, remember, turned the tables on them, and he invited one among them who was without sin to cast the first stone. Okay, fine. Whichever one of you doesn't sin, I want you to start the killing. I want you to start the stoning. Well, none of them could make that claim. They knew it, remember, embarrassed one by one. They turned and walked away, and they left the woman alone with Jesus. And Jesus told her, has anyone judged you? Neither have I. You're free to go, but cut it out. Go and sin no more. Well, after that, Jesus was speaking to a crowd, and he made this proclamation, Matthew, uh, John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Our excuses and the lies we tell ourselves and others just keep us in the dark. But Jesus came to lead us out of that darkness and to show us the light of truth. The light of truth that exposes our excuses, that exposes our lies for what they are, so we can get them out of our lives and begin to walk in the light of Jesus, who is the light of the world. 
Jesus came into the world so that we can start on our way to reaching the life that God has promised us, the abundant life that Jesus would reference just a few chapters later. You hear me reference this all the time. John 10.10, 10, easy to remember. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Some translations say, and have it to the full. I came so that you could have a full life, the life that you were created by God the creator, that you were designed by God the designer to have. I came so you could have that. Jesus came for us so we could start to live the life for which God has created us. The life in which we can recognize that our silly excuses, our paper walls, should not keep us from obtaining. Now to get there, Jesus told us that, John 8, 12, whoever follows me. Now this is really important. Jesus invited us to not only believe in him, or to believe things about him, Jesus invited us to follow him. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus isn't looking for more fans. Jesus has plenty of fans. Most people in the world are fans of Jesus. Being a big fan of Jesus, even if you're a giant fan of Jesus, will not make a difference in your life. And it will not make a difference in the world. Being a Jesus fan won't do anything for your community or your family or your other relationships. Jesus didn't ask us to just believe in him and admire him. He asked us to follow him. Because for all who will follow him, he promised that they, continuing in verse 12, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what's Jesus saying here? Essentially, he's saying, I came to shine a light on all of your dark places. I came to guide you through the darkness that you experience, hiding behind your excuses, paralyzed by your paper walls. I came to bring light to all those things that you were keeping in your heart that keep you from reaching your God-given potential and from overcoming all of those fears you have, all of those insecurities, all these things you've accumulated throughout your life. But it won't work if you're only willing to know about me. It won't work if you're only willing to sing songs to me and about me, if you're only willing to be familiar with me, if you're only willing to think highly of me. It'll only work if you follow me. Because if you'll follow me, I'll lead you to make a difference both in your world and the world at large. Indeed, the men and women who followed Jesus before us, they turned the world upside down. It is undeniable that the men and women who follow Jesus in the past have shaped Western civilization. I think on some level, the religious leaders knew that Jesus wasn't just throwing out empty slogans and platitudes. I think they sensed that Jesus was like no one they'd ever encountered before, and that made them nervous, so they pushed back against him. We go to verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. You can't testify for yourself. Your testimony is not valid. That's what the religious leader said, but I think the crowd sensed that he was something special too. So they didn't leave because they suspected something about Jesus that he would come along and confirm a little bit later in the same conversation. A few moments later, Jesus told them how they would be able to escape the darkness. Here's what he said in verse 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth 
will set you free. Most of you heard that verse before, haven't you? Jesus' instructions came to them in the form of a conditional sentence. Here's a little English lesson for us. If you hold onto my teaching, if you abide in my word, if you commit yourself completely to my teaching and my word, if you will, if then, then you will become one of my followers. You will become one of the people with whom I will walk throughout your life, and then you will know the truth as only a true disciple of mine can. And that truth will set you free. That truth will free you from the prison that your excuses, that the lies you tell about yourself to yourself, the lies that you tell about yourself to others have kept you in. That truth will set you free. If you are 100% committed to living your life in and for me, Jesus was saying, then you will finally be able to discern what is true and you won't need to make excuses anymore. You won't need to try and protect yourself by telling yourself the rational lies. That's what it is. We're rationalizing. We're telling ourselves rational lies. You won't have to tell yourself those rational lies you've always told yourself. You won't need to hide behind your paper walls anymore because you'll be free. You'll be free to see yourself the way God sees you. You'll be free to see your potential. You'll be free to see yourself in God through God's eyes. You'll finally be free to see your family the way that God sees your family. And you'll finally be free to see God the way God really is. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. Jesus told us that he is the light of the world. He is the light of our world. And only those who follow him, only those who have committed everything in their lives to him will be able to see his truth and be set free from their paper walls by his truth. Now, isn't that powerful? That is a really powerful thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your worldview right there. Don't be ashamed of it. That's the way we do it. Once I discovered this truth for myself, I knew I would spend the rest of my life telling everyone about it. This is what wakes me up in the morning. This is what drives me in the morning. There is no better life in the world than the life of a Jesus follower. I need to settle down. (sighs) But not everyone was convinced. Here's how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law responded. How did they respond? What do you think they did? They made excuses, right? Of course they made excuses. We're just talking about that. They didn't want the people to start following Jesus. That would put them out of a job. So here's what they said. Ha! John 8, 33. We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Come on, folks. They said, you don't need this guy. Think about their excuse. Is that the dumbest excuse you've ever heard in your life? We're not slaves. We were never slaves to anyone. They were so blind. They were stuck in the dark. Think about it. To begin with, at the very time they uttered those words, they were living under the heel of Rome. At that very moment, they were living under the yoke of the Roman Governor Pontius Pilate. They weren't free. They weren't free by any means, by any definition. And they hadn't been free for most of their history. Moses spelled it out 3,400 years ago in the Torah when he said in Deuteronomy 24, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. 
Didn't the guy just say we've never been slaves of anyone? Give me a break. And in addition to the Egyptians and the Romans, the Hebrews were subjugated by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Seleucids. Oh, they, they were slaves, all right. And they were slaves to their comfortable but deceitful excuses, just like us. Which is why we often sound just like the religious leaders when we say we're not slaves to anyone. But everyone around us can see our excuses. Everyone around us can see that these excuses hold us captive. The religious leaders told Jesus that as Abraham's descendants, the, the Hebrews had never been slaves to anyone. And as a result, they didn't need him or anyone to set them free. And to that, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So here Jesus takes the conversation in a bit of a different direction. Instead of going through the litany of their historical overlords, like I just did to you, Jesus pointed out to them their own personal history. Because like us, they were all sinners. And Jesus told them that everybody who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who ever did something that they oughtn't have done, anyone who ever regretted doing something that they did, anyone who ever became upset with themselves because they'd done something they wish they hadn't done, is a slave to sin. And anyone who denies it is just deceiving themselves. They're lying to themselves. And they're trying to redeem themselves by hiding behind paper wall excuses. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and I'm calling you to a better way. So Jesus finished up by saying, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You'll be free to embrace my teaching if you'll fully buy into what I'm telling you and devote yourself completely to following me. If you do that, you will be free. Jesus is saying, I'll enlighten you as to all of the lies that you've become an expert at telling yourself and others. Jesus said, I will bring that light. I'll shine a bright light on all of your paper walls and then you will be free. Indeed, free to follow me. Free to experience the life that our Heavenly Father has created you for and called you to. Following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus has come to light up all of our personal darkness. And that's God's invitation to you today. If you'll confess your sins to God and commit your lives to following our Savior Jesus, he will lead you from the darkness to the light. He'll lead you to freedom. He'll lead you to eternal life. He'll lead you to the place where you can acknowledge your fear and acknowledge your insecurity and then say, Jesus, you got it. I put all my trust in you. I put my trust in you to give me the abundant life that you promised. Understanding that our excuses make us small. And our excuses make our lives small. Our excuses are nothing but paper walls. They look formidable, but they are oh so fragile. Our excuses keep us from living the life that God has created us to live and from loving the people whom God has commanded us to love. The people who've harmed us throughout our lives have all had their own reasons for doing so. But hopefully now you can see that their reasons were nothing more than excuses, were nothing more than their own paper walls. But if in Jesus we can tear through our own paper walls, we can turn our attention to loving others through theirs. Our excuses only enslave us. 
They make us self-centered. They make us self-obsessed. But Jesus has come to set us free. The way of Jesus is the better way. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. That's what the Jesus followers were called for the first few hundred years of the movement. Followers of the way. And Jesus has called us out of darkness and into light because Jesus is the light of the world. And whoever follows Jesus will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever wakes up every morning and says, all right, Jesus, what do you have for me to do today? What should I do today? Who should I, what should I fix today? What should I change today? Who should I reach out to today? Who should I forgive? Who should I encourage I was watching this video, and it's just some English guy who goes around encouraging strangers. He was doing it in London, and someone said that would never fly in New York, so he flew to New York, and he did it there. You can Google it. It's, it's great. This guy is just being very encouraging to every single person. And he's English, so he sounds really polite. And he'd go up to him, that's a, that a lovely hat. I love how you're wearing that hat. And people go, oh, that was so amazing. Who should I encourage? God, who should I direct to you? Jesus, how can I continue to tear down my own paper walls so I can more faithfully follow you, so I can more faithfully rely upon you, so I can more faithfully devote more of my time and my treasure to you, so I can more faithfully cast all my fears on you and live as a witness to my faith and your faithfulness? See, our Savior Jesus came into our sin-filled world to initiate a reconciliation with a rebel race. That's us. And he's called us to be a part of this quest to seek and save the lost, even when we feel like they aren't deserving. Because you know something? We're not deserving either. And he saved us anyway. Now, will doing this be uncomfortable? You bet. Will it be scary? Oh, yeah. Will it make zero sense? <laughs> Most certainly. But isn't that how you'd rather live? And isn't that the world you'd rather live in? A world of hope? A world of a future? A world of people being reconciled to each other and love prevailing? Isn't that how you'd rather live? Isn't that the world you'd rather live in? Thankfully, Jesus arranged it so that if we follow him, we'll come to see on the other side of our paper walls, we will find freedom. Freedom in Christ. There is simply no greater way than the way of Jesus. When you truly follow Jesus, he will set you free. He'll set you free to see the things you've never seen before. He'll set you free to be the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the employer, the employee, the son, the daughter, the grandparent, the person whom God called you to be. All right, let's just put a bow on this conversation. Jesus wraps up the conversation in verse 59. Guess what? The religious leaders weren't having any of it. They picked up stones to stone him. We didn't like what you said. You're going to die. They were stuck. They were stuck in the dark. And if they killed the light of the world, they could stay stuck in the dark and it would be comfortable. But Jesus slipped away from the temple grounds. Where'd he go? Only to return another day and give his life away. Because Jesus is the light and the life of the world. Jesus has left us with his word so that we can know everything that happened that we need to know. And we can get a notion of the character and the power of our God. 
And Jesus has invited us to leave our excuses behind and to face up to and embrace the terrifying but liberating truth about ourselves, about our interior lives, about our attitudes, about our fears, about our insecurities, about our past. Jesus has told us that if we will give our lives to him, he will set us free and that we will be free indeed. You know what that means? That means that no matter what anybody else does to you, and regardless of how anybody else treats you, they will never be able to force you to continue to live behind paper walls because you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? We'll start here next week as we conclude this series, Paper Walls, Moving Behind the Excuses That Hold You Back. But before we go, I'm going to leave you three questions, as I've been doing. First question is, have you ever caught yourself lying to yourself? You don't have to answer this out loud, but consider that. Question number two, if you have, what enabled you to see the lie for what it was? What what finally turned it for you? And number three, and this is a little bit of homework. I'm not going to grade it, but, you know. Would you be willing to commit a verse to memory? John 8, 12. I'm going to put it up so you can take a picture of it if you like, or just write down John 8, 12. It's in the Bible. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your son is the light of the world. I want that kind of light in my life. Thank you, God, for the privilege of talking about these things openly and freely. God, please open the eyes of our hearts And give us the courage to say, I want to follow Jesus, no matter where it leads me. And Father, we ask that you raise up around us and raise up in our midst and in our city and in our nation, not more admirers, but more followers of Jesus, the light of the world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people agreed and said, amen.